0: Amen. All right. Check this out. Anybody name here? Joe. Oh, I know there is at least one. Oops.
1: Sorry. This is not you. This is not you, by the way. Anyway, but this other guy, his name was Joe and uh, he was, he showed up for late for work. Right. Okay. And it was already the third time that week. Right. So his boss asked him real sarcastic. All right, Joe, what's the story today? It better be a good excuse this time. And so Joe, he sighs, and he goes, man, it is, boss. I'm telling you, big time. Okay, everything went wrong today. Uh, First of all, it started off with my wife, and, and she decided at the very last minute that she wanted the car. So she got ready in 10 minutes in order to drive me to the station. But on the way to the station, the drawbridge, it it went up and and, and then got stuck. And so I didn't want to let you down, boss. So I jumped in. I swam across the river. See, my my suit is still damp. You can see it. And and, I got to the shore, and I I managed to catch a cab to the airport where I was able to charter a helicopter from Donald Trump. But but, but the only place to land was on top of Radio City Music Hall. Well, after I told my story about being late to work and a, a couple of the Rockettes, they felt sorry for me, and they carried me the rest of the way to work on piggyback. And at this Joe's Bossy France, come on, Joe, are you serious? You really expect me to believe that? You and I both know that there's not a woman on the planet that can get ready in 10 minutes. Oh, the nervous laughter from the men, isn't that exciting? But uh, how many guys would say Joe's excuse was a little bit out there, you know what I'm saying? I mean, if you're going to come up with one, at least make it halfway believable, okay? But unfortunately folks, you know the theme, Joe is not the only one coming up with some lame excuses for the behavior, you know, who else is? Yeah, it's we Christians, here's what we're doing, we're walking around, going around in life, to and fro, even at work, what are we doing? We're saying we're the people of God, but what are we doing? We're acting like practical atheists, okay? You talk about unbelievable behavior, okay? We say we believe in God, but half the times with our lips and our lives, we act like God's not even there. He's not even part of the equation, okay? As we've been seeing week after week after week, folks, this is not just detrimental in our walk with God. It keeps other people from believing in God. Therefore, to avoid this irony of you and I as Christians living like these practical atheists by not knowing who God is, here it comes. Here's a word you have not heard in thirty some weeks. Conclude our study. Let's say conclude. Let's say conclude. That's the word of the day. We're going to conclude our study on the character of God. Now we already saw in our journey the first thing about God. He's what? It's a pipe dream. It's opiate for the masses. No, He's real. Praise God, He's real. And the good news: Jesus died on the cross for a born religion. No, we got enough of that. An intimate, beautiful relationship. God is personal. He is intimate. The third thing: God is wise. He knows everything. He never gets it wrong. Why would you go anywhere else? When you need advice, okay? The fourth thing we saw, he is sovereign. He controls all things. And if you love him, raise your hand. He promised, not me, he did. He'll work all things together for good. In fact, we also saw the fifth thing, he's powerful. God can fix anything. He could do anything he wants. He can meet any need. He could supply any need. He could save anybody he wants. Turn to somebody and say, hey, praise God he saved you. <laughs> he's, God's powerful. That's right. And uh, the sixth thing we saw, hey, man, he's on the throne, and he's what? He is holy. He is holy. He is holy. Oh, we've all impugned his holiness, myself included. We fall short of his glory. We all deserve to die and go straight to hell for that. But praise God. Whoo! The seventh thing. I see on the cake. God is love. Uh, he's not loving. He's not lovable. God is love itself. Now, we saw this is a multifaceted truth, like a diamond, to use the analogy. Okay, And just like a diamond, has got many different facets, this aspect of God being love itself is multifaceted. Okay, And we've been taking a look at each one of those facets. How do we know that God is love itself? Well, he demonstrates that by giving us mercy and compassion and kindness and graciousness and patience and faithfulness and goodness. And if you were here last time we were in the study, he gives us not just love, he gives us eternal love now is that good news or what okay well the strange news was the bad news is you actually got people even in the church who would actually say oh no 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 god's love does not endure forever that somehow you can start off being saved you can get saved but somehow you go back to being a child of the devil what okay And there we saw that, listen, folks, that is not true biblically at all. And two of the reasons we saw last time is because, number one, they've forgotten about the context. Anybody can take a verse out of context in the Scripture and twist it and turn it into whatever you want. And we took a look at their major big ones that they want to use to say, see, you can lose your salvation. When you examine the context, absolutely not. Okay, you cannot... Lose your salvation. Period. The second thing we saw, they always come with that story. Oh yeah, but I know of a guy. One time, he was a Christian. He walked the aisle. He prayed a prayer, and then a year later, he became an atheist. Hey, that does happen. But guess what? You didn't lose your salvation. First John 2:19. What do we say? There's such things in the Bible. The Scripture talks about four different ways that a person can profess to know Christ, but you don't belong to him. You're fake. You're phony. They forgot about the counterfeits. Not everybody. Who walks the aisle, who prays a prayer, truly belongs to Christ. If you walk away from Christ at any point, scripture says you never belong to him. You were fake the whole time. Isn't that a scary reality? And that's what we left off uh, with last time. But we're still just getting started. The third reason why I've learned that some people would have the audacity, with all due respect, to say that God's love is not eternal is because they've forgotten about the corruption of man. Mm-mm-mm-mm-mm. Are you serious? If even 000001 percent of our salvation was based upon our behavior how many of us would ever get to heaven none of us all of us myself included would be burning in hell because of the corruption of man therefore because of the corruption of man salvation has to be complete and it is okay but let's take a look at that corruption why does salvation have to be complete well it's because we're messed up okay how many of you guys are feeling good about yourself today You know, it's kind of a good day. Well, I'm going to mess you up, or I'm not going to. God's going to. He's going to destroy your self-esteem, man. I love this passage. Uh, Romans chapter 3, let's take a look there, verses 9 through 18. And what is the status of our condition prior to being saved? What is mankind like? We're so wonderful, incredible, that God just had to save us? Are you kidding me? Some would actually say that. We're so incredible, worthy of salvation, that God was bound to do. Are you kidding me? I don't think so. The corruption of man, let's take a look at that, and let's go ahead and stand as we get ready to read God's word. Verse 9, chapter 3 of Romans, mine starts off with this one. No one is righteous, okay? We're all messed up, corrupt, called depraved, depravity, whatever. Let's take a look at the corruption of man. Verse 9 says this, what shall we conclude then? Are we any better? Not at all. We've already made the charge that Jews and Gentiles, how many guys are Jew? Right. Okay, that means guess what you're a Gentile. Okay, so Jews and Gentiles is everybody on the planet. Okay, the combo though So basically that's what he says all of us together Jews and Gentiles. Everybody we're what we're all under sin as it is written There was how many no one righteous not even one there is how many? No one who understands how many no one who seeks God how much all have turned away and have together become worthless there is how many? No one who does good, not even one. Their throats are open graves. Their tongues practice deceit. The poison of vipers is on their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. Okay, their feet are swift to shed blood, ruin, and misery. Mark their ways in the way of peace. They do not know why. Because there is no fear of God and his holiness before their eyes. Whoa, you may be seated. But here's what we see here, folks, in the text. And again, I know it's early. I'm going to be asking you throughout this study. Some serious questions, okay, but I think you can get them. And our first one is this. How many guys would say that there is no one righteous? <laughs> According to our text, right? Okay. Uh, h- how many would say that there is no one who understands the things of God? Yeah. How many guys would say that no one seeks God? Oh, but I know some. Mm-mm, not pure out of pure holy motives. Don't think so. Okay. Uh, how many are as good as God? None. Okay. Therefore, I would say mankind is just a little bit corrupt. <laughs> Anybody come to that conclusion? The corruption of man, depravity man, whatever you want to call it, okay? And here's the point. Unless we understand the absolute utter depravity, the total corruption of man, we're never going to understand the salvation of man, listen, or realize just how secure it really is. Because we are corrupt and depraved, and we all deserve to go straight into hell. Salvation has to be secure. It's all wrapped around The corruption of man now let me break it down for you and show you that in the scripture the first thing we learn about the corruption of man is salvation is and has to be offered as a what it's a gift okay now I didn't say that God did here's our first text there Romans chapter 3 now verse 23 later on after he mentions in the context what we just read the corruption of man and then later in chapter 6 23 for how many have sinned all have sinned we ought what we all fall short of the glory of God. None of us are holy like God. None of us worthy to get to heaven on our own. None of us deserve to be in his holy presence forever and ever. All of us have blown him. All of us, right? For the wages of that, uh-oh, what do we deserve for that? We deserve death, okay? But the what? The gift of God is eternal life in who? Christ Jesus, Our Lord. Okay, so the Bible basically, in essence, is saying because of the corruption of man, there is no way, there is no way we could ever earn our salvation uh, from God. Okay, because of our corruption, what have we actually earned? We deserve to die and go straight into hell. Okay, therefore, in light of our condition, okay, salvation is offered as a gift. Now, here's the common sense question. If salvation is offered as a gift regardless of our behavior, then how could there be a behavior that we could commit to lose it? I'll say that again. If salvation is offered as a gift from God regardless of our behavior, then how could there be a behavior to cause us to lose it? If there was, then guess what? The gift wouldn't be a gift. It would be a wage. But we already saw what we deserve, and that is So, salvation is offered as a gift from God. Therefore, it has to be secure in God because of the corruption of man. The second thing that we learn from the corruption of man is salvation is not only a gift, it's also obtained how? You work for it? Uh uh. It's by faith. And that's what we see in the classic passage here, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 through 9. For it is by grace that you have been saved through what? Faith. In fact, that's not from who? That's not even from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. Okay? So now we see in this passage here that there is no way, again, that we can earn our salvation. The text says it, we are saved. How? By the grace of God, he gives us this gift, and we get it through faith in God. Okay? Why? It's because of the exact same reason. We have nothing to boast about in our behavior before God, do we? No, if you're going to boast, hey, I earned to go to hell, which, by the way, last time I checked, is not a good thing to boast in. Okay, but so in light of our condition, because we have nothing to boast about in our behavior, in light of God's holiness, okay, salvation is obtained by faith. It has to be. It has to be number one because how many guys were there two thousand years ago when Jesus Christ died on the cross? Please don't raise your hand. Okay, praise God, okay, right? And how many of you guys realize uh, that, therefore, we have to, since we weren't there, okay, we have to take God's word that Jesus really did that by faith? And also, what do we just say and read? that God says, it's not of works, so it has to be by faith, right? It's just faith in what the Jesus has done. It's his work, not ours, and we weren't there, okay, so we received that by faith. Faith, okay? So here's, here's the point. If salvation is obtained, not only as a gift, but if it's obtained by faith, regardless of our behavior, then again, how could there be a behavior to cause us to lose it, right? And think about it, if there was a behavior, then it would no longer be a salvation by faith, it would be a salvation by works, which Paul says it's not of works. So it can not be, okay? Not only that, people will say, well, that's not what I'm saying. I'm not saying you're trying to earn your salvation. It's the flip side of the same coin. Those who would say that you can lose your salvation, by and large, typically, they'll say on the one hand, oh, no, I'm not saying that you earn your way to heaven. No, no. We, we know Ephesians 2.8 and 9, right? Uh, that you are saved by grace through faith, not of works. Really? But you, you are implying that I could work myself out of it. So on the one hand, you say that I don't work for it, but on the other hand, you say I can work my way out of it. Excuse me, that's the same side of the coin you just flipped it over. And so this is where I've said, I don't know people's heart, but this is what's really concerning to me personally as a Christian, as a pastor. When people are so incredibly adamant, oh yeah, you can lose your salvation. I'm going like, what are you trusting in? Because you're implying you could work yourself out of it. And how close is that to a works-based salvation? And if you're trusting in works, you're not saved. You're a counterfeit. It is a gift from God. It is re- uh, received in faith in God in Christ's work. So that's the point. Since salvation is obtained by faith in God, guess what? It's secure in God, okay? Because of the corruption of man, there is no reason to assume we can become a child of God somehow, whoop, then turn go and go back and become a child of the devil again. It's just crazy. God's love for his children endures how long? forever and that's what we see the fourth reason i've learned they come up with this and say that god's love is not eternal is now they've forgotten about the atonement of christ the atonement of christ Now i'm going to use some strong words here but basically with all due respect this is what people are saying basically they're saying if you say you can lose your salvation i say well well, why don't you just go ahead and crawl up on the cross here and slap jesus in the face and say he didn't do enough i almost don't even want i want to brush my teeth just for having to say that it's an illustration Because that's what people don't realize you're doing. Excuse me? You're attacking the cross, the atonement of Christ. You saying what he did was not good enough? Ooh, so let's take a look at what Jesus said when he died on the cross. Is it good enough? Yeah, it's good enough. It's finished, man. Let's take a look at that. John 19, 28 through 30. Jesus knew how much? Everything. Hello, he's God. Right? It was now, what? What is it? Everything is? Finished, right? And to fulfill the scriptures, he says, I am thirsty. And when Jesus had tasted he said, it is finished a second time. And then he bowed his head and he gave up his spirit. Okay. Now, again, I'm going to ask you another tough question, but you guys are sharp. You're on the ball. I know it's early, but I know you can do this. But uh, when Jesus was uh, accomplishing his atoning work on the cross for our sins, and when he said not just once, but he says twice there, mark right in a row, how many of you guys think that he really meant it was finished? Yeah, hello, finished means finished, you're done, right? His work is over, it's a done deal, it's complete, you can't add to it, you can't take it away, it's done. Well, that's what you would think, but here's the problem. You see, when a person says you can, quote, lose your salvation, then aren't you in essence, again, saying that Christ's work on the cross is not finished? Because in essence, you're saying it's undone. There's a loophole in here. There's some behavior that you can commit to, lose your salvation, And then when you challenge them, you say, well, hey, name one sin, name one sin that Jesus' death on the cross could not forgive. None is technically right, but they'll bring up this passage. Oh, yeah? If a person commits the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, they will not be, really? 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 Is that a sin for today? I don't think so. Let's take a look at that passage that is ripped completely out of context. What is the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit? And is that a sin that we can even commit today? I don't think so. Matthew 12 is the passage. Verse 30-31 is the immediate context. And he says this, He Jesus said, He who is not with me is against me, and he who does not gather with me scatters. And so I tell you, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven men, but... Uh-oh, the blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven. Tom, oh no, I could be walking great with God and everything's, but man, before I get saved, am I going to heaven? if I, I just hope I don't commit it. That's not all. This is completely ripped out of the context. It's one of the most abused passages in the scripture, okay? The passage does say that if you commit this sin, the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, it's not going to be forgiven. But look at the context. Notice to whom this passage is written to. Number one, it is to people who were claiming that Jesus, in the context here, was doing his miracles under the power of Satan instead of the power of the Holy Spirit. Christian, right now, this is what's called a straw man argument. How many right now would dare claim that Jesus Christ is doing his works under the power of Satan? Nobody is gonna do that, number one, right? So it's what's called a straw man argument. More importantly, not only that, notice the timing of this sin. In order to commit the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, you have to put it in its context. It was, again, when Jesus was literally physically on earth in his earthly ministry that people came up to him physically, to his face, and had the audacity, the sinful audacity to say, oh yeah, yeah, that guy was healed all right, but you're doing that under the power of Beelzebub, of Satan. Satan. All right, so here's the question. Is Jesus right now here physically on earth in front of us doing miracles physically in front of us for us to physically confront him, physically to face and say that horrible statement? No. So therefore, guess what? You can't commit the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit today because Jesus is not on earth today physically. He's at the right hand of the Father. So it's impossible to commit this sin. And so guess what? Go back to it. Then therefore, with that so-called loophole explained, how many sins does the atonement of Christ forgive? All. That's why he said, not once, but twice, it is finished, okay, is what we see there. In fact, that's also why the writer of Hebrews talking about Jesus' atonement (laughs) puts it this way. This is pretty blunt as well. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 14, for by a what? A single offering, he, Jesus, listen, has not just completely, listen to two words together there, forever completely, right? If I were to make the statement, I am not just going to completely refrain from eating chicken, but I am going to forever completely refrain from eating chicken. How many guys would say there's no chance I'm ever going to do it? This is what he's talking about. He has what forever completely what Jesus on the cross cleans and listen to this word perfected. How many of you guys are married? I'm going to help you out today, especially if you had an argument on the way in. Turn to your spouse and say, "Hey, I'm perfect in Christ." Okay. <laughs> He has forever completely cleansed and perfected those who are consecrated, meaning set apart, and made holy. He is who makes us holy, okay? Now, here's again the question. I would say that if Jesus forever cleansed us from our sins, even to the point where we're considered perfect in the eyes of God, then there's no way in the world we could do something to make us imperfect again. Hence, his statement, it is finished, okay? So, since salvation is based upon the complete finished work of the atonement of Christ, salvation is completely secure in Christ. God's love for His children endures how long? Forever, right? The fifth one that they say that uh, God's love is not eternal is they've forgotten. I don't know how else to put this. It's called common sense, right? How many of you guys wish that they would sell a big old can, maybe a big old dumpster, maybe a big old squirt can of common sense? And how many of you guys would go buy some? And then squirt it on everybody else because, of course, we don't need it all. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, put it on your own head too, right? Common sense, okay? Now, let me take a look at a common sense passage, right? And show you, man, there's no way you can lose your salvation. It's an irreversible procedure, right? John chapter 3, verse 3, Jesus again speaking. I, in reply, Jesus declared, I tell you the truth, right? He's not lying. He is the way, the truth, and the lie. No one can see the kingdom of God unless he is... Born again. So here it is, folks. I'm going to ask you a tough question. What does a person have to do according to Jesus in order to see the kingdom of God? You've got to be born again. Give yourself a golf clap, Tom. Pastor Tom, you're doing good. Three for three. Okay. Now, 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 here's my point. With all joking aside, anybody with, excuse me, with all due respect, common sense. That's exactly what that passage is saying, right? There's no hidden Hebrew, Greek, whatever, weird language going on. That's your translation. No, it's common sense. If you're going to get there, you've got to be born again. Okay. Now, here's the problem. Those who say you can lose your salvation are not applying common sense when it comes to this passage. Of all phrases for God to use to describe our salvation in Jesus Christ, he uses this phrase, born again. Okay. And that's the problem. If you say you can lose your salvation, then aren't you implying that somehow, somewhere along the way, you can unborn yourself? Isn't that what common sense says? What? What do you how do you unborn yourself, right? You could die, but that's not what it is. being born is an irreversible procedure. How many ladies are so glad <laughs> that after your child is born and they grow up, they can't unborn themselves and go back where they came from and it's just no, it's just you're out, you're done, right? This is the same phrase that Jesus used to describe our salvation. One guy, he puts it this way. He says, when one is born of the Spirit, it is something that can never be undone, right? Some things can never be reversed once they're done. Listen, you can't unscramble eggs, and neither can you unhatch a chicken, because believe me, if you could, I'd be doing it, but you can't, right? Right? Even so, you cannot be unborn after you're born. Jesus did not say you had to be born again and again and again and again. Just once is enough if you let God do it, is the whole point. Okay. Now, I don't know. I'd say that guy in that analogy there, he's applying some good old-fashioned common sense. right? But again, that's the problem, folks. Something born cannot be unborn. Therefore, how in the world could we ever lose our salvation? You can't. He uses words that describes an irreversible procedure. Okay, The second place that they uh, don't apply common sense is in this next passage of Scripture. Let's take a look at that. And this is uh, in 1 John chapter 5, verse 13. And he says this, John writing to us, he says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you can freak out and for the rest of your life be scared to death. Oh, no, I might go to hell. No, I'm sorry, wrong translation. He's writing this to encourage us. Why? So that you may know. In the Greek, it means beyond a shadow of a doubt. That you may know that you have what kind of life? Not just life. What kind of life? What's the word there? Eternal. Okay? Again, here's the tough question. How many guys would say that the Bible and the Apostle John is trying desperately to get it through our heads? The great news that we can know beyond a shadow of a doubt that we have... Eternal life, that's right, you guys got it. Okay, and again, that's just common sense. There's no again secret language there. You got to go through all these giant theological loopholes to arrive at that. It says eternal life. Right? It's about as plain as you can get, okay? Now here's the problem: if you say that you can lose your salvation, aren't you implying that eternal life isn't really eternal? But that's illogical, right? Common sense tells us that which is eternal and lasts forever is eternal and lasts forever, right? And once it starts and it goes forever, it can't stop. It's just, just, that's common sense, okay? If we receive something that lasts forever, eternal life, how in the world could we ever lose it? It's an irreversible procedure. It's a statement of infinity that you cannot take away. That's common sense. The third passage that I think they need To apply with all due respect some common sense is this next one here, all right? Second Corinthians 5 16 through 17. So, from now on, Paul says, we regard no one from this worldly point of view, okay? But, oh, we once regarded Christ in this way before we got saved, right? We do so no longer. Well, how come? What's the change, right? Well, because when you get saved, you're totally changed, and that's what he says. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's what? He's a new creation. In fact, he throws in the dichotomy. Well, in case you don't get that, the old has gone, the new has come. How many of you guys are glad that since you got saved, it ain't like it used to be? <laughs> don't you remember the darkness and the, yeah, the depression, I hated that time. You know, how many times you hear people say, oh man, the high school years are, which is only about three years ago for me. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> we'll preach online next week. <laughs> you know, when you hear people say, oh, the high school years is so awesome, I wish I could, are you kidding me? Bleh, I hated that time frame. Hated that time. for What a nightmare, man, growing up. And then still I had a long ways to getting saved. And being on my own without Christ, yuck. Praise God when you get saved, he makes you into a new creation. A new life, a new direction, new hope. Oh, it's awesome. And that's what Paul is saying here, folks, that we have a new beginning. When we get saved, we become a new creation in Christ. And that's good news. But here's the problem when you apply some common sense. You see, even after sharing all this information that we've gone through on the security of our salvation of the last two studies, okay? You're still going to have somebody that throws up this straw man argument as well. They'll throw out this scenario. Not only the guy, well, I know of a guy one time who got saved and he walked away. No, 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 we already dealt with that. That's a counterfeit, right? They'll throw out this scenario. Well, wait a second. You mean to tell me that God's going to force me to stay saved? What? Well, <laughs> he does. <laughs> but anyway, I'll get to that in a second. But that's what they'll say. You mean to tell me that God's... God? And of course, they talk that way, of course. You mean to tell me that one day, you know, uh, uh, as a Christian, uh, uh, maybe one day I won't want to be a Christian. Maybe one day I'll decide not to follow God, and I want to lose my salvation. <laughs> what? L- listen, what do we just read in our text? When you get saved, you no longer act, you no longer think, you no longer behave like you used to because what you've been changed you become a new creation a totally new and different person okay and so common sense tells us a true follower of christ a new creation would never think of even leaving christ and let's put that straw man argument to the test how many of you of guys right now as a born-again christian right now on the spot want to give up your salvation and go burn straight in hell Woo! double hands up and that was just an illustration i wasn't doing it myself that's right my, nobody would It's, again, called a straw man argument. No Christian is going to say, well, one day I think I just want to not be saved. If a person actually did do that, what did we see last week? 1 John 2.19 says, the reason why they went out from us is because they never belonged to us. If they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us, but their going showed that none of them belonged to us. So that means you're back to the issue of being a counterfeit. But no true born-again Christian is going to walk away from Jesus Christ and say, I don't want my salvation anymore. That's not true. You're a new creation in Christ. So based on the usage of common sense, there is no reason to assume that a person become a child of God and then somehow flip around and become a child of the devil again. The Bible is clear. God's love for his children endures how long? Forever. Now, I've saved the best for the last. Okay, at least I think so. Because it's all Bible. Bible. (laughs) Okay, Don't take my word for it. Our salvation is uh, secure. The sixth reason why people say that God's love is not eternal is because you've forgotten about the clear passages of Scripture. Oh, it's very interesting how you dance around these. Oh, you bring up those other little ones that you want to twist and try to say it is, but when you look at the context every single time, that's not what it's saying. But for some reason, you gloss over all the Scripture. That is absolutely abundantly clear that once you get saved, there is no way you're getting unsaved. It is secure forever. So let's just take a look at a few of those passages. Uh, how secure is our salvation? Let's just listen to what God has to say. John 5, 24, Jesus speaking, I tell you the truth, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has what? Eternal life and will not be condemned. He's crossed over from death to life. John 6:37, Jesus again, all that the Father gives me, what? Will come to me and whoever comes to me, I will what? Never drive away. Never means never. John 10, 28, Jesus again, I give them what? eternal life. Listen, they shall never perish. No one, including yourself, can snatch them out of my hand, he says. Romans 8 35, 38-39. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble, or hardship, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? No. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation, including yourself, will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. 1 Corinthians 1. He God will keep you strong to the end so that you will be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians 1, 21, 22. Now it is who? It is God who makes both us and you stand firm in Christ. He anointed us. He set his seal of ownership on us. He put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit. What? Guaranteeing. It's God's guarantee of what is to come. Ephesians 1, 14. The spirit is God's what? Guarantee that he will give us everything he promised and that he has purchased us to be his own people. This is just one more reason for us to praise our glorious God. Amen for that? Yeah, and we're still going. Philippians 1.6, being confident of this, that he, God, who began a good work in you, will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. 2 Timothy 4.18, the Lord will rescue me from every evil attack and will bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. Hebrews 7.25, therefore he is able to save what? Completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. Hebrews 9.12, he did not enter by means of blood of goats and calves. He entered the most holy place once for all by his own blood, having obtained what? Eternal redemption. Hebrews nine fifteen. For this reason, Christ is a mediator of a new covenant that those who are called may receive the promise eternal inheritance. First Peter 1, 3 through 4. He has given us a new birth into a living hope, into an inheritance. Listen, that can never perish, never spoil, never. It's kept in heaven for you. Who's going to crawl up in heaven and rob you? Nobody, folks. And that's why Peter says this, man, 1, 8, and 9. Though you have not seen him, Jesus, you love him. Amen? And even though you don't see him now, you believe in him, and you are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. Why? Because you are, not maybe, not might, you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. And again, 1 John five thirteen. I write these things to you who believe in the Son of God so that you may know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you have eternal life. Now, how many of you guys, again, this is your last final tough question, would say, that it doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure out, that when we get saved, God's saying, guess what? You're saved forevermore, right? Over and over and over again in the scripture, God's love endures forever. So you take a look at the context, you look at the issue of counterfeits, the corruption of man, the atonement of Christ, common sense, and come on, clear passages of the scripture. There is no reason to assume that a person could become a child of God and somehow end up being a child of the devil. It's it's crazy. God's love endures forever. And this is great news. It blows me away. I don't know why people resist this. This is, to me, very comforting. Because how many guys, since you got saved, have sinned? Raise your hand. Those of you who didn't raise your hand, you just did it. You lied because we all have Right? And so, praise God, it's secure. eternal. is this. This is what. Oh, the sovereignty of God and the eternality of our salvation, eternal security, is one of the biggest comforts to me in the scripture that I'm getting there in spite of myself. Isn't that wonderful? Why would people resist that? It's beyond me. It's good news. The gospel means good news. If it was based upon our behavior, if there was a threat that I could lose it, it's not good news. It's the tormenting news. Because then I will be like every cult who thinks you have to work your way to heaven like Mormons or Jehovah's Witnesses or Catholics or what, pick your cult. Because they have no assurance. What if you get there, you're doing your good deeds, and you think it's 100,000. You do 100,000, you get there, it's 100,001. You, you have no peace. There's no security. But it is secure, because in Christ, it's not based on our work, it's his work. And it's a gift from God, it's received by faith, it's all Jesus. And he's willing to forgive you of everything. And that's good news. Okay? What did he say? You are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. And this is coming from Christian, I don't know, if sometimes you get tired. Do you get tired of being in this sinful earth after getting saved? And the the, the constant temptations and the constant trials and having to deal with spiritual warfare and all this crazy stuff and other people and this wicked society. I mean, sometimes don't you just feel like, ah. And and the the deadness of sin, the reality of sin, the temptation to sin. And sometimes maybe you think, as a Christian, I can't take this anymore. I I feel crippled. I I don't know if I'm going to make it across the finish line. No, you will. Because he who began a good work in you, the Father, will carry it to completion even if he has to take you across the finish line himself you're going to get there like this father did with his son let's watch this video again i Hebrews says that we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. And all of heaven is watching us running the race for Christ. Sometimes we're running strong. Sometimes we're limping. Sometimes sin has got us down. But he who began a good work in you will complete it. The Father will make sure that you get there. We're going to heaven. Because God's love for His children endures how long? Forever. And if you're here today, and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, you're not going to make it across the finish line on your own. Sin has stopped you dead in your tracks. But the good news is, if you call out to the Father... He will come. He will come. And he'll wrap his arms around you. And he'll get you there. In spite of yourself. Won't you receive that gift by faith today? Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Well, hi, this is Pastor Billy Crone of Sunrise Baptist Church and Get a Life Ministries. And I hope you enjoyed today's study. But in closing, before you go, let me ask you one final question. If you were to die today, are you sure that you go to heaven